So it's count to three, and then on four we clap. Okay. All right. On on, on four. Count, on do. four. Uh, yeah. One, two, three, clap. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. I I can't believe Seth. You were the second behind. Is the lag? I I I did one, two, three, and I clapped. Like from my point of view, you clapped after me, bitch. Welcome to Budden Griff's um, Game and Creep Show. Today, our guest is, I mean, this is this small-time YouTuber. I mean, you might have heard them, but not many have. Um, there's a guy called Seth, I can't, I can't pronounce his second name. How do you pronounce it? Skorkowski. Skorkowski. <laughs> yeah, he's a, I mean, I mean, to be honest, Seth, I'm not going introduce, to introduce your channel because I'm pretty sure there are un discovered tribes in the Amazon that have already heard of your channel. So I'm not going to plug it any more than it needs to be. <laughs> I, I have I have people stumble across me on YouTube all the time. Like, who the hell is this guy? So evidently there are people that uh, that haven't heard of me. Don't believe it. And, I think uh, the bots. <laughs> and every time they discover me, they ask, who the hell is this dude? So, you know, they, they keep me humble. Well, you know, a bit of humbleness is all right. And talking of humbleness, unfortunately, Griff couldn't be with us tonight at the last second something came up. So... Everyone's favourite DM on the fly, Lloyd, has graciously, and I mean that, graciously stepped in to help me out today. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very glad to be adding some colour to the show, so please continue. Oh, that was controversial, Lloyd. <laughs> I'm, I'm always excited to talk to Lloyd, so I'm like, I'm like pumped. So. <laughs> I, think it's, I talk to Lloyd quite regularly. Far too regularly, if you ask me, but it's all good. Oh, to you little yeah. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So the podcast, the original idea of the podcast was 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 that of talking about horror gaming. And as we know, Lloyd is a huge fan of horror gaming. That is a statement you can say. Or is it horrible gaming that you like more to the That's point? probably more I like to statements, but yes. Yeah. I am not a big fan of horror gaming. I adhor it, but I have my reasons and I apologize. Well, that's what we're going to get into today. And we, I think we have the ideal person to offer a counter argument in Seth. Because obviously Seth has, has paid off his mortgage and has bought a Lamborghini due to the huge popularity of his book sales. What did you think I was going to say? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so before we begin, um, with me me and Griff normally, and Alex last last time Alex when, when Alex was on, we have a little questionnaire. It's an and it's it's it it just give me one answer or the other, okay? Don't let us explain it. Just one answer or the other. But I'm going to do it for both of you because this is the first time both of you have been on here. So let's do Seth first, okay? 
So so remember, just one or the other. Yeah. Noodles or chips? Chips. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Punched by a bear or kicked by a mule? Punched by a bear. Ooh. Benevolent dictatorship. Punch. I don't I, know. Did- <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I, mules kick, I know that. But like, I don't know, maybe bears don't punch. I mean, maybe like boxing gloves. It's still probably her. Well, but I, not as much as a mules kick. Well, yeah, I think, but yeah. the thing is, the whole question used to be, who would win in a fight between a lion and a bear, right? And they know bear. that the bear wins every time because they used to cause yeah. them to fight back in the 1800s to entertain woodcutters in America. And the lion would put on a big show, but the bear was just too strong for it. Well, if it's like a little black bear, you know, black bears are kind of like, I don't know, they're, they're not that intimidating. If it's like a grizzly, yeah, bear every time. Yeah, or but, a big... Uh, isn't it Kodiak? bears that are worse? Uh, no, <sighs> grizzlies apparently will, will attack you. Oh, but, without, but brown bears are mostly vegetarian. And they, they put on it, this show where they look like they're going to go for you, but then don't. It's just to scare you off. And then there's like the polar bear that just destroys everything. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, and they're like but, you know, lions, 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 lions. So, like, maybe the small bears, maybe. Big ones, definitely not. Definitely bear. Bear, okay. Okay, so this one. A thousand subscribers and rich, or a hundred thousand subscribers and poor. Wait, you want me just to describe myself there? <laughs> um, <laughs> I would, I would, I'd prefer to be rich and, I'm not. <laughs> with, my, with, my, with my thousand friends. <laughs> well, you know, a, a thousand patrons paying $10 a pop. I mean, that that's that's a wage, isn't it? That, yeah. 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 I would, I'd take that. Yeah, I think I would. Okay, so Lloyd. It's way better than my OnlyFans does. <laughs> I don't want to know about your, your OnlyFans, Seth. But I do want to know about Lloyd. That's, that's why I don't have any. <laughs> I bet you, Lloyd, you've got one on you, an Only, OnlyFans. Of course I do. It's just me telling people how bad they are at things. That's literally my whole OnlyFans. I'm just like, you, what are you doing? You paid money for this? You paid money for this? How dare you? You have a family. You have a wife and kids. What's wrong with you? That's it, the whole show. It's like every Friday, that, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so, so, Lloyd. All right, I'm ready. Hit me up. Rum or vodka? Rum? Are you a drinker, though? No. But if you had to choose. If you had to be if I had to, if you choose, have to be killed by it. What vodka's <laughs> yeah, I mean like if I have to die, rum tastes nicer. Vodka's a bit too sharp. Fair, fair point. Rum usually comes in funky flavors. Vodka is just like, ah, look at me, I'm drinking hard. So like okay. I'll take a rum. Um also rum seems to have a lot of like um Caribbean roots that come with it, and I'm like, I'm down for that. Fair enough. Uh Make stuff up or rule for everything. Make shit up all the time. <laughs> Fuck rules. I'm going to have to bleep the hell out of this one or mark it as clean, aren't I? Oh, do you want me to cut on my swearing? I apologise. No, it's, let me swear away. I'll just mark it as not for kids. All the time. We're, we're, we're not allowed to swear? No, you can swear if you want. We're not allowed to swear. Okay. Okay. Um, Thank you, Lloyd. <laughs> style or substance? Style. So, are you a fan of style over substance? Not, not what. That's not what you asked. I prefer. I think style works better than substance, because if you have enough style, you can fake anything. You don't have to be good at what you do. You just have to look good doing it. Yeah, it's like you described. Which is, of course, the basis of 
Yes, and also every RPG GM out there that does play to find out stuff. You have to look like you know what you're mm-hmm. doing to be to people to think you know what you're doing to follow your lead. Style always beats that. Doesn't mean the substance is bad. Something's always good, but style helps put it down. Fair point. Okay. Modern or old. Are talking politics or? Well. I mean, also that. I mean. Like, how politics in politics itself, style beats substance. A politician can lie to you about That's always anything. a good thing. No, it's a bad it's, thing. That's the way it's always been. <laughs> it's always been like that. No politician has substance. They all have nothing but style. Okay. Um, so, modern or old? Modern. Ooh, okay. Bad superhero rules or great horror rules? Can I just kill myself now <laughs> and not have to answer that? <laughs> oh. I knew that would be the one that killed you. <laughs> oh, that is not fair. You can't ask me a question like that. That that goes on like three different things in my head that I don't like. The worst thing you could ever have is a bad superhero game. Oh, I'm looking at you, Marvel Multiverse. Um, uh, I'm going to go with, you know what? Even if I don't like it, good horror rules, because at least someone will enjoy it. Fair point. Fair play, in fact, not fair point. That sounds stupid. Okay, so before we get into this the debate between what is the selling point of a good superhero game versus a good horror game and why you should play either because I, th- I think we've got, we've got people here that will could argue the point really well even though obviously i know with you seth you you like cyberpunk and things like that as well don't you i uh i i, I dig sci-fi um so right now we're gearing up for a new traveler campaign soon so oh hell yeah but i mean and, and i know you're a huge fan of fifth edition and you've got more videos to come on your site haven't you uh i'm happy that people like fifth edition I don't mind fifth edition if I'm honest, but I wish people wouldn't treat it like it's the be all end all. I um, I, actually, the more role playing games I've I've been doing since uh, we left fifth edition, like like that's really when I started diving into a lot of them. My feelings towards fifth edition have actually just been going down since then. Really? Uh, like yeah. So if you if you had asked me like right when we finished, I was like, man, it's a great system. I, it's it's like D and D perfection it's just not for me anymore like i just don't like D. and now uh years later it's like uh, i'm happy people like it and yeah. I, I i hope it gets them addicted enough to rpgs that That's they the explore thing, it? it's a gateway all the drug. other ones out there it's a gateway drug it's a great yeah. gateway hey dnd's what got me into rpgs I, so i can't knock anyone for doing it fair enough go on lloyd you're dying to say something <laughs> well i don't want to interrupt, that's fair enough but there is a world where I, full, as someone who does not like fifth edition, in a world, in a world, <laughs> when it comes to a system that does exactly what it says on the tin, and if you want it to do what you want it to do, it will do it exactly right. You will find very few alternatives to the way fifth edition does its job. You're going into a dungeon, you're kicking some butt, you're beating up dragons, you're going home with the loot. It does what it says in the tin. And I can't really... I There's a whole... No, it, con, like, no and, and, and Lloyd is right. And uh, I actually, one of the things that actually always did bother me with 5th edition, and I could never quite figure it out or, or articulate it. Because you know, I came from 
first edition. Yeah, second edition AD&D. for me. Yeah. The, the second was um, the big one that could come out right when I started. We we left around third. I missed fourth and I came back for fifth and then we left altogether. Um, was uh, the the art. So if you look at the old art in the, the old original books, the, the heroes are always in peril. Like like the picture of the rock grubs always comes to mind. There's like a guy, these mm-hmm. these like maggots going into his arms. He's looking at it horrified. Or if we open up this other monster, it's like crouched above a dead hero. Or the piercer, you've got the silhouette of a piercer has actually gone through a guy. Uh, so the heroes are always in peril. They're always falling, or they're always getting like attacked by a monster that very likely will kill them. Fifth edition, they're always kicking the monster's ass. Like even if you look at the cover of the fifth edition player's handbook, there is this just colossal giant and then there is like this hero just like flying towards the air about to kick its ass but in the old uh black box dnd uh basic dnd which is what i started with there's like a giant red dragon and there's a guy with a halberd and you know that dude with the halberd is about to get eaten so fifth edition is very much about like kicking ass and there is no peril really anymore like mm. when, when we left fifth edition kind of our statement was i think dying in fifth edition is kind of an accomplishment i agree um but but it, it but when you look at the cover of that you know the heroes like kicking that giant ass that game is exactly that that does not mislead you in any way it it gets you know heroic fantasy it nails it so i'm with lloyd it it does exactly what it advertises. I, I think as I think as well. The, the point to make about the fifth edition system is how many other games have done five E versions of their own game. The Lord of the Rings one has been announced um, because obviously it's it's a real set that I'm not going to say the vast majority, but definitely the majority of players who are into the game will will know. It's easy to get into once you've played it once. You basically figured it out. Mm. It's going to be a whole bunch of new stuff to go on with. I mean, I've written, I've written stuff for fifth ed uh, equivalent items, and I understand the concept of it. Of you're building your character to have cooler and cooler things as they level up, so they can take on more and more powerful enemies as you go forward. That's the story you tell with that. It has a level. Any game of level progression is there, so you're like, oh, I've leveled up. I'm now cooler. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. All games will do that with fifth ed, and that means that you can tell a specific type of story. Of I'm here when I start, and I'm here when I end, and I'm far better than I used to be, and I can take on world-ending mm. things. That's what makes it there, which is interesting, because technically, with that same degree, you could almost call fifth edition a superhero game. Well, that was going to be one of my big points when we got out of that. <laughs> I think it is a it superhero is. It's game. It's fantasy superheroes, oh, isn't it? Super clean, not like Warhammer where everyone's dying of dysentery. You know, it's super clean, heroic, shiny armored heroes taking on world beaten things. Other other games, I would say, they use the example of Warhammer. It's very, it's very much more British kind of game. I would suggest is it's the internal corruption within the system, and everyone's as poor as you. And you know, it you've you've got to worry about feeding yourself more than you have to worry about taking on red dragons 
But is that a game you want to Absolutely. play? That's far more interesting. Is that really what you... Like, if I'm... I'm okay, maybe for you. But if I'm playing the game, I don't want to worry about dysentery as my main topic of interest. You've and that's never not really lived. my gaming sphere. <laughs> really, really enough, like, if I'm playing a role-playing game on RPG, I will deal with family issues. I will deal with having to, like, talk about my, 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 my family enemies, nemesis, all that jazz. Worrying about the bills? Kind of, kind of not really a high priority. The thing is that with something like Warhammer, that's half the fun, though. We are defined fun out. We do, to be fair. So, let's before we go on to our discussion about superhero games versus horror games, that's not, I wouldn't necessarily say versus because it's different strokes, different folks, isn't it? We all like different things. Yeah. But it's just to talk about what's great about those different types of games and obviously for you Lloyd why you prefer that kind of game to a horror game and I, I mean with you Seth I'm not even sure whether horror is your main thing anymore because you, you, you as you said you know you start and travel up again you play Shadowrun I mean when's the last time you played a horror game yeah what's your credentials Seth um I mean let's say I mean earlier I guess about a month ago because schedules with like house renovations everything kicked in oh yeah uh see our, our cult game is going on and uh so a couple weeks and then i did well i call it cthulhu game which i guess legally is a horror game but it's such a goofy game that i'm doing at the how we roll podcast and scott Dorward. that was like last week so yeah are you I'm still playing are you still fanboying over scott oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's not that's not stopping <laughs> so didn't you run um unland you did the video on it recently, yes. didn't you? With it, with using yeah. Holt. Yes. Because uh, a friend of mine, um, Sue Savage, who's just been gone into print with a couple of liminal scenarios. Um, I've played, I've played Unland with with Sue running it using the cult rules. By a weird coincidence, is it a game that just lends itself well to cult? I it, evidently and you might have been one of the people that that tipped me off about unland being good for cult i'd, I'd heard about it like just that and then i mentioned to scott he tipped me off to ask sue some for some tips so i messaged sue and, and she had a couple ideas that I could kind of put with the ones i had started already working on and um and then scott's basically said he he never intended it to basically be a cult game that he wrote for call of cthulhu but it just was uh because he, he fully admits it works just as well with uh, both systems so uh yeah I, I love that one of the big things though i like is i like horror but i really like investigative hmm. I, I like mystery and i like solving um, an investigation and that's actually the big thing that is the the kind of across the board interest for me hmm. and it lends itself very well to horror but uh if if like i had to like choose exactly one genre and i couldn't double genre or, or any of that if like it's like get a gun to my head i would actually go investigate horror investigative game well it's you know with uh with like with with traveler that's why um i did the the mysteries in arcturus station uh thing is because it's it's extremely well written uh, mystery with the original murder in arcturus station and then i updated that and then wrote a prequel for it um, because I, I like the idea of, uh, of mystery games, and I think that uh, skill-based systems lend themselves better to it. See, because mystery games are not really what Traveller sells itself upon, are they? Nope, but they can do them. 
uh, if, you, if you've ever read the original Murder on Actress Station, which is like 1982, I think, um, absolute brilliant um, template for designing mystery scenarios. And when I read it, I was like, okay, it's like so early in RPGs. It's for a system that's not really done it. What can this, you know, what could this do that could possibly teach me anything? And I read it, it blew my mind uh, because it was uh, so well done. And in all the years since, I haven't seen anybody do it that well uh, as far as we're not going to tell you who the murderer is we're going to give you nine suspects nine motivations right nine ways they could have done it uh, actually more than that and then alibis for who you don't and the gm kind of builds it based off these uh the skeleton and it, and it works fantastically and call of cthulhu did something that was very limited similar with crimson letters but uh, Murder Actress Station was just like way more elaborate and um, it preceded it by like 30 something years. So it's a, uh, it, it, it's a good system. Uh, just, I think most people get stuck on flying around in spaceships and trying to like trade chickens or something uh, when it can do a hell of a lot more. Big trade in chickens and travel. Yeah. Well, a lot of people get fixated on the trade stuff, which, Hey, you like dying of dysentery. Uh, some people like the, the cost I don't, of shipping. I mean, I've not died of dysentery yet, <laughs> but you know. <sighs> but and are you really playing? Well, no. I mean, it's like it's like being a proper actor, <laughs> isn't it? You know, I'm really taking on the role, unless I've caught dysentery. So before we, we we crack on, so I'll start with Lloyd. Right, Lloyd, have you ever had? Hi. I've remembered you here. Don't worry. <laughs> have you ever had? A, a, a ghostly experience, or have, or have you ever seen a UFO, or any of that kind of thing? Genuine question, because most people have. I would like to put down that I do not believe in ghosts, okay. spooky visions, strange weird stuff nonsense, and that the only real horror in this world is what man decides to do to man against themselves, because that is all that we should care about and all that really matters. That aside... I do come from a country where we had to ensure that our children were put back in what's called home before the sun sets in case people didn't come around to chop up their heads so they could pass their school exams. There was a lot of superstition. Said so what? <laughs> so superstition is not the word I would use specifically for this. There is a phrase used when I was younger, not something I use now today called chuchichi. Say that and again. The idea was I can't pronounce it because my nose is blocked. Tree, 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 tree. And the idea is, I'm falling on this, but it means off with your head. And <laughs> really, yeah. What would happen is usually during exam time in Ghana, passing your exam is the most important thing in the world you could do. If you didn't pass it, your life was meaningless and meant nothing. And as such, people would use any method they could to assure that they could, in fact, pass the paper and carry on. This also meant that you would go through doing things such as ritual sacrificing and everything else tied to it in order to make sure this is done. And one of the things that you would do is you would, there were various videos and things about that, that you would kidnap young kids and you would chop off their head. And make sure it was fine. So well, those kids were never going to pass their exams, were they? <laughs> I mean, not really. No, 
the reason I'm bringing this up is because I did have an encounter with someone where something very similar happened. There is something that all people who used to do these kind of things tend to wear some kind of iconic jewelry on their mm-hmm. hand, which they used to mark the people. Sometimes a ring, sometimes a necklace, sometimes a bracelet. Whatever the piece of metal they have on their body, when they touch someone they, that is that is like you know like primed for sacrifice, the metal will change color. When I was younger, there was a man who came to greet us at school. And when he came in, he shook everyone's hand and he had a really strange ring on, on his right hand. And I shook his hand. That was only maybe like seven at a time. And the minute I shook his hand, the ring changed color from blue to black. I instantly felt ill and had to step aside and... At the time, my parents were there, so they took me home immediately to make sure I was okay. There was only maybe a week, two weeks later that I found out that that man was found dead. Death left in a ditch with a tire around his head and his body burned. Christ almighty. Whether they did this because he was a ritual sacrificer or because he owed people money. Or things are bad. I'll never really know. But I will always remember that ring changing color when I held his hand and how sick it made me feel when I did it. Well, that, and there you go, that's, that's more terrifying than anything I could come up with. <laughs> well, wow, like I said, Roy, I don't just believe in just strolled in and casually laid down the law. <laughs> <laughs> there are things out there that are far more terrifying than ghosts and things like that because at the end of the day... I always believe a ghost is hanging out in the house that they died in. Do they not have anything better to do in their lives? They could not go somewhere else? Afterlife, all of that. But that story has always remained in my head because of the way it relates to my upbringing. Wow. Well, that's that's quite a story, Lloyd. Oh, thank you. How about you, Seth? Come on, how many UFOs have you um, shot at this week? <laughs> none this week. None this week. We've had, we've had cloud cover. Uh, when... I was 21. Um, I woke up at about two in the morning, uh, very abruptly. And I, my, my girlfriend asked like I was wrong. Cause I basically went outside. I smoked, just, I started chain smoking. I said, I had a feeling that something very bad had happened and I didn't know what, but I, I was upset over something and it was, uh, the next morning or that morning, I guess later on, uh, that I got the phone call that, uh, a friend of mine had killed himself around that time. It was a friend I hadn't spoken to in well over a year. So I hadn't known what was going on in his life. Uh, but that was, uh, about the same time that he had, uh, taken his own life. So that one is, uh, it's, that's actually always the incident that I look back on and say that was definitely truly unexplainably weird. Uh, because it was, uh, I said, I came out just dead, dead asleep, wide awake and very, very agitated. And I knew something bad had happened. Um, now my other one though is, and I haven't done this one in a while. I'm known to suffer from sleep paralysis. Uh, if I'm going through a lot of stress, which is where the, the succubus and incubus lore comes from. So I think when I was about 25, I I had my most terrifying one of the the full your eyes open you're lying in bed and you can't move and you see the thing moving around the room 
and you are trying to scream, you're trying to move, and you're absolutely locked in. Um, the other thing, which I guess nobody had ever mentioned about sleep paralysis before, is a lot like uh, when people have seizures. It's all their muscles in their body are are tense, and it actually it's like a full body horrible workout where they're very sore afterwards. So I was I was very sore after after that, and I've had it a couple other times in limited cases, but that one when I was 25 shook me and I didn't know what sleep paralysis was. So for a long time, I was convinced that was definitely a supernatural experience, yeah. but um, no, that's just, that's just some issue that happens if I'm under a lot of stress. I remember reading about, about sleep paralysis and, you know, the, the, the kind of misinformation around it. And I saw, I saw a documentary on TV about someone how they explained it. And it's the idea that you have essentially an on-off switch in your brain. When you go to sleep, it turns your body off. So so you don't get up and act, act out the things you do in your dream. And then when you wake up, it switches your body back on. So then you're not dreaming anymore, but then you can get up and go about your day. And the idea of sleep paralysis is where it essentially gets stuck in the middle. Whereas you're awake, but your body still thinks it's asleep. And that's why you're scared, because you can't take a deep breath. Because your body's in this sleep mode. Well, is it your, your your body? Well, actually, I could. I was able to lift my arm, and I was able to turn my head, and it took absolutely everything to do. That would have been terrifying. Um, I've also been known to sleep with my eyes open, uh, which is rather the same thing, which will cause me to have dreams superimposed over what I see. That has led to some funny stories and some horrible nightmares. Um, it has also led to somebody coming upon me and thought I was dead, and uh, be having a conversation. Uh, with another girlfriend and I woke up halfway through telling her something. Uh, so <laughs> it's just, you're like, must be the weirdest boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had a weird thing that happened I've, to me. I've, I've been told that. Well, for different reasons I imagine. Um, <laughs> I had, I had a strange thing happen um, with me and my Mrs. Claire. Um, years ago, we went to Blackpool Lloyd knows about Blackpool, don't you, Lloyd? Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. It's like Moss Isley. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Um, and we we found the cheapest bed and breakfast we could find. It was £12 a night, which is about $15 for both of us with breakfast included. And we added that we had breakfast. Oh, the, the breakfast. It was it was meat sausages. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this is a podcast. They can't see the air quotes. There. No, <laughs> it could have been anything. But what happened was, and it's the only time it's ever happened to me in my life. It was it was one of those B and Bs where you can just knew bad things had happened there. You know, you know, you go in a room and you know, like you get that air of something bad's happened in here at some point in the past. And we had a full day out in in Funland or Pleasure Pleasureland. The camp, which it's like a big roller coasters and all that. We went out for a few drinks and we got back and we we went to bed. And I was woken up by someone shouting directly into me ear. Like like proper hoarse screaming shouting. I've never had it before. And it woke me up. It's the first time it's ever happened. And the only time it's ever happened. So I woke up Claire and said, to, I said, I'm just, did you hear that? And she was like, what? It was silence. It must have been 3am. I said, there was someone shouting. She said, no, no, I didn't hear anything. So the next day we went down to, to everyone to have breakfast and I told them told everyone what had happened and one of Claire's friends said oh we had something weird happen in our room 
And we were like, please do tell. Claire's mate was sharing it with a friend. And they were lying in bed just chatting. And from the darkness, they heard someone go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, see, on the things that would loosen my bowels, that would do it more than the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, that, imagine that. It was two girls in a room, sharing a room. And they had a man kind of go, <laughs> laugh in the room, in the in the darkness. They said they just stopped them dead and he went to decide to go to sleep. <laughs> Which is be literally the last thing I would have done. How do you go to sleep after that? Well, well, the order is get out the room, set fire to the room, and find another room to go to sleep in, isn't it? That, according to Call of Cthulhu players, that is exactly what you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so so let let's move on to to the kind of the bulk of what I'd like to talk about today, because for those, I've, obviously, everyone knows. Seth is a, a big fan of horror stuff. I mean, that's that's fair to say, isn't it, Seth? Yeah. And I play it. I've written it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And Lloyd is a huge fan of superhero games, and I had the joy of playing with Lloyd recently. We played Masks, and it was fabulous. I had a great time. And I've already told Lloyd this. I had a re- I really enjoyed it. He made the story up as he went along, and it was like he'd written it. It was fantastic. But but Lloyd is known for not being a fan of horror games. That'd be fair to say, wouldn't it? That would be fair, yes. Okay, so let's do it this way then. What is it you don't like about horror games? <sighs> okay. There is a lot on this subject that I'd like to break down. So I'll go through it by doing the fundamental parts that I think are important. Strap one. in, Seth. We're in okay. for a Lloyd one. Uh, Any first, time Lloyd the... starts speaking, I strap in. <laughs> <laughs> The first one is horror games require you to give up agency in order for certain aspects to come in, which has always been a problem for me when it comes to gaming. Horror games tend to mostly rely on some form of, I know what phrase I'm looking for, uh, helplessness in a situation where you cannot completely comprehend or do everything apart to help save the day. It requires your players to step back from themselves and bask in the horror of what's going on. Otherwise, what's the point of a horror game? If you're like, Cthulhu's there, you go punch it in the face. So that's one of the main problems I have. I've never been a big fan of losing agency, especially when it's something that is that is simply like, oh, my character just stands there and screams, and then I guess they get eaten or something, I guess, whatever. The second one has always been the ties to mental health when it comes to certain horror games. Some horror games will have a whole chart of things you will roll on because you've seen too much. And now you sell from like, you're now a bibliophile or something. You now can't stop stealing books or you're now schizophrenic or you need to go to like six months of therapy to recover from everything like that. And, and we, I don't think the world we live in right now should be emphasizing things to do with horror when it comes to mental health, because we are trying to get to a state where we can respect mental health in the first place. The third one comes up with the basis of horror being, you know, you know, friend of the show, Lovecraft, you know, you know how it is, my homie, and how a lot of his horror is based on his fear of the unknown, and by the unknown, I mean other people and other races and other places. And those are the three fundamental reasons why I do not like horror. I don't like losing agency. I don't like having to deal with mental health through it. And I don't really want to be 
emphasizing things that were put on put on because you didn't like the way foreigners looked a little bit so you decided to write some really shitty also writes about them that's like my three main things okay well b- before seth i've asked seth, seth to respond to that it's worth mentioning that the whole role randomly for for mental illness is quite old old kind of thinking as far as mm-hmm. as gaming goes it, it's done much differently now I mean, like for example, in Delta Green, it it not only it damages your sanity, but it damages your your links outside of Delta Green, or your bonds. It's your relationships with other people that damages. Like in the same way, people went to Vietnam, and then would come back, and then they just couldn't hold down the marriage. They couldn't sit still because of everything they'd seen. It's a different treatment of it these days, and I think the treatment of it is much more um, it's much more understanding as much as it can be for that kind of game. Is it still in Call of Cthulhu? Because I played a Call of Cthulhu game and it kind of happened to me about two years ago. Hence why Call I Call of Cthulhu is still, is still pretty much in there. Yeah. Delta, Delta Green does it different differently. Um, Cult does it very differently. But it was one of my main reasons why I didn't like horror. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was still a big thing in Call of Cthulhu because it used to be. Yes. Now, there are better ways to tell stories that way that will come all the way through. It still doesn't solve my problem with agency. I am, I, you know what? If we can take that out of games and not have sanity be an actual stat, I am all the more for it. But I understand that people need the, the concept of sanity to emphasize how horrible people have gone through stuff and how it affects them but also i don't like role-playing losing my sanity that's never been a fun thing for me to do i don't want to be sticking to that i do like that concept of losing your friends though that's great i think that's fantastic i love that your friendships start breaking up because you can't maintain your friendship i think that's amazing amazing idea i love that that's great points to that's that's one of the that's one of the coolest things with delta greens is the the relationships breaking down uh because you're not you can't connect with them anymore and that's actually the loss is you know you you make it through the mission but when you get home you and your your spouse just no longer connect as well and that just Mm. that 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 loss i I think that's brilliant yeah i think it's a much more sensitive way of approaching it and much more i mean for a game that deals with like cosmic horror it's a much more realistic way of dealing with it People tend not to just flip and, you know, suddenly they're scared of number 13, really, do they? It tends to be a, a, a downward spiral. And, and I mean, the, the, the thing is as well about Delta Green is you have a stack called willpower, which is your ability to hold it together under circumstances. But your willpower loss is used in lieu of your san, but, but it gets knocked off your bonds instead. So you end up kind of coming out of it and blaming your family for putting you in that position and it breaks down in that way which I think is an interesting role-playing opportunity. And don't forget, in Delta Green, you have a whole bit between adventures where you can bring your bonds back up and just connect with normal life again. So it's not all doom and gloom. Well, it's not all doom and gloom yet, most of the time. (laughs) That's the other thing about horror games that I'm also not very keen on. It always feels like in horror games that all you're doing is basically holding off the inevitable destruction of the world and everything else coming through it so i've never been a big fan of oh well all i'm doing is just hoping against hope that we can keep the monsters at bay for one more extra day but eventually they will break out cultists will release it and the world is doomed i'm just kind of just holding on for dear life as it is and that's never really been a 
that kind of hopeless grasp has never really been a thing for me. Hence why I don't play Warhammer either. Because that was a really big thing in Warhammer 3rd edition. 3rd edition, not the 2nd edition when it came out. Where it's like, the world was screwed. Chaos would reign. You're just trying to keep yourself surviving. Same thing for Shadow Demon Lord. A bunch of games for that. So there's a whole other tie to that too as well. But you're not a fan of it's the journey rather than the destination. Uh, I like my... And nobody has ever said that who's taken a journey. Nobody who's been in a car (laughs) driving across the country to go see a show has ever been, oh yeah, I really loved that 14 hours of driving. That was great. Yeah, but... Yeah, but 14 hours where you were swerving through cultists. Oh, yeah. Really mm, good, fun. Woo. No. <laughs> no one has ever said that. People tell you is the genuine destination should be shot. Put them in a freaking plane to Melbourne, and then when they get there, they can tell me if that's true or not. Mate, I flew to Australia on my own, right, sat next to a Chinese woman who didn't speak a word of English, and I don't speak a word of Chinese, and she had a little screen in front of you. It was broke. So I whipped out my mini disc player. Yes, it was that long ago. And I remembered one disc. So I listened to Wish You Were Here by Pig Floyd for 20, 20 hours. Was I it think worth- a mini disc could hold like 80 minutes worth of stuff. So how many hours was that flight? Oh, it was far too long. <laughs> I, was, I was losing the will to live by the end of it. Was it the genuine destination in that case? <laughs> yeah, but it was a boring journey. The whole point of a horror game is the journey's interesting. I- and and to, to touch on the point about Lovecraft, okay... He's not the only horror writer out there. And a lot of what he did, other people who didn't think the way he did took the ball and ran with it. So you need to bear that in mind. I respect that. I fully respect that. And when every single horror game is not compared to Lovecraft and every single horror show does not automatically go, this is very Lovecraftian. When we're not using the term Lovecraftian to describe horror, I'll be with you. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing you at the destination and not the journey. (laughs) So Seth... How would you sell horror games to someone? So so someone comes in the shop and they, you, you own a shop, this hypothetical shop, Seth's Games. Seth, okay. Seth's Games and guns for shooting at UFOs. Okay. Um, okay. How would you sell How would you sell horror games to people? First, they would have to be a fan of horror in general. Uh, you know, basically, if, if somebody was going to come in to play role-playing games, they're like, hey, what's a role-playing game? You know, I wouldn't immediately go to horror. I would mostly kind of find out what it is they like as far as uh, fiction. Uh, But as far as the appeals that I have for horror is I like the sense of vulnerability. Um, I I like the, the risk. I don't like the uh, assumption that you're necessarily going to survive or survived unscathed. And I feel that that leads a lot more drama to it because your, your characters are, uh, you're, you're essentially outmatched and you have to escape it through wits or, or by thinking about it, or basically uh, you, you have to really uh, mentally engage with it in order to beat the foe. And that's what things like, and I like that with, with mysteries. So that's one of the reasons the call of Cthulhu really drew me in is I consider it equally investigative as, as it is horror. And so that's why I like a very story-based game. I guess it's more of it. Um, now, one interesting thing, though, with, with horrors, uh, Lloyd brought up as far as, like, you know, look at the world around us. Do we really need more horror? Classically, horror has a boom whenever the world is going to crap. 
like and, and it's true uh when, when you look at the big booms in in the in the horror genre and then you look at the state of the world at that time they 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 match uh so when i was at um world fantasy con i guess in about 2017 uh that was one of the big things the horror panels as they were talking about that they're like hey on the bright side everybody Horror is doing a lot better than it has the past few years. And it looks like it's every it's it's everything, but yeah, it's going up. Uh, so, and the sales have also shown that is for some reason when people feel that sense of helplessness, they want to open up a story or watch a movie about somebody that has it worse than them. Uh, and that's one of the big reasons that Stephen King was absolutely monstrous in the eighties is that was when there was a recession going on and all that. And everybody, of course, figured like, well, let's see what's going on on the stand. You know, that's definitely worse than what we got here. So, and then we had the stand a few years ago, didn't we? We did, we did, <laughs> and uh, we had we had a whole book of cheat sheets, and we failed it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> on that subject, I feel there's something I should bring up. Um, I have read almost every Stephen King stories from the '80s. And my favorite horror book, if I must put down the horror genre book, is Salem's Lot. Doesn't mean I want to roleplay it, but my favorite horror book is Salem's Lot because Salem's Lot talks about an entire town dying. And that is something that I have never seen in any other book ever written from that time. At least not I've seen it, it probably exists somewhere else. And it's the way Stephen King describes the people of this town that you get to know you get to love, you get to experience, and then you slowly watch them lose against this malevolent force that is destroying their town over the course of the book that I most certainly loved. And I thought it was really good storytelling, and it was great, and I loved it, and it was awesome. I will never run a game that is like that because I cannot <laughs> do that. It worked in that medium, not in the roleplay medium. I mean, fair point. So, so the next question, which kind of leads off from this, is it's for Lloyd. What is it you don't like about superhero games? What really gets your goat? Terrible rules. Oh, this again. Terrible rules. Listen, 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 <laughs> listen. Right. I'm editing out all these listens. <laughs> there is superhero games are fantastic in the quantum that they are. The idea that you are playing. A bunch of people who have got these powers that make them larger than life so they can go out there and do and they want to, they don't, they don't want to do it to like get money or like you know to like become youtube famous or what you know, what normal people would do with powers but instead of decide that they're gonna don some clothes and go out there and fight crime also something i do not i don't personally condone vigilantism is not solving a crime that's what police are for please do not become a vigilante it's not worth it um it's still one of the coolest concepts in my life. Lies. Lies. Is not I know okay. what you wanted. It's not okay. I know what you wanted to write in Rivers of London. You've already told me. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen, listen. Do not become a vigilante, okay? Please, God. Anyway, it's the concept of doing that, being like, I want to make a difference by helping to fight crime is a great idea. And it's fantastic and it works out great. And you can tell a billion stories through that. It could be investigative. It could be a big fighting romp. It could be like a, oh, like a, like a dark noir style story because it's superheroes. It could be anything. It's like an attachment you add to a genre to make the genre work. 
And what it needs, it needs a rule system that can complement the type of genre it's going for. You cannot just, oh, I don't know, pick up 5th edition, <laughs> write down the bruiser or the speedster on something, slap it on a piece of paper and hand it to someone and say, you're done. That doesn't work. It has to be larger than life. But it also has to be, in the very least, balanced in a form where you can play anything without it feeling like you are missing out on the other things you are playing. When you make a superhero game, and your superhero game very clearly emphasizes how much more powerful the speedster is, everyone will be making a speedster. I'm looking at you, Mutants and Masterminds. I'm looking at you, Hero <laughs> System. It's one of those things that adds on top of each other over and over again. You, It's why I like masks, because masks, system-wise is a lot more looser and tells a story more than does our mechanics. It's why I like capers. It's why I like superhero systems that kind of keep things in a certain balanced sort of way. Bad rules for superhero systems are always when one type of superhero will benefit way more than another. Also, shout out to Smallville. See, because I, I see what you mean about the speed step, because remember X-Men Apocalypse, I think it was? Mm-hmm how ludicrously powerful Quicksilver was in that one scene. Yes. It was ridiculous. Yes. He was, he was literally the most powerful yeah, man Yeah, but it was, gl- it was a glorious scene. It was a glorious scene. But he but was also, never that good in the that comics. Was, also, it was, that was the movie. <laughs> that was the movie, not the role-playing game. I don't want you to pick the character that can do all of that while my character's like, ooh, ooh, I can shoot beams of light from my eyes. Wow. Yeah, fair point. That's, it's... It's hard. You can never be sure you can balance a superhero game because you can never do it. You can never balance it. But you can at least make it so it's fair on everyone involved. And fairness is always something I call for in role-playing games. So same question to you, Seth. What is it something that gets your goat about about horror games? That, that, that bothers me yeah. with them? Um, I with, with horror games, a lot of them, I don't like the, the adventures where it's pretty much just the railroad of misery. I don't, I don't, I don't like that where it's like, okay guys, it, it, it's, it's what Lloyd talked about with you. You take uh, agency away from them and it, it's just pretty much just this torture porn for the GM to inflict. Uh, I, I don't, I don't like those. And that's just badly written scenarios. Um, I, I dislike the, like when it comes to stuff like Lovecraft, that it always has to be Lovecraftian. Um, you know, I, I actually really love it when I do find stuff like Call of Cthulhu Adventures or whatnot that have nothing to do with the, the, the Lovecraft mythos. Mm. And it's, we got a vampire, a werewolf or a ghost or something like that. And we can just, uh, drop in an investigative horror without it having to involve tentacles. Uh, just because I, I, I feel that if, if you're, if you're limiting yourself to just, uh, what was in the, the kind of the, the the Lovecraft mythos? You're really just over limiting yourself. So I don't I don't like that. But I, I like I said I want ones where there is there's a chance to survive. There's a chance to find out what is going on. Uh, another one that a lot of them have is the issue of a great backstory that the GM gets to read and know about. And it's really cool because they get to see the history of this and why this is going on and why these people are doing it. 
And then when you when you're going through the adventure, there is not a single way the player characters could possibly learn this. Yeah. And when you when you go through uh, your your favorite TV show or movie or whatnot, uh, with very few exceptions, there is the part where the audience gets to find out why this is happening or 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 what the motivation is or or what's going on and because in a, in a role-playing game the players are the audience they even if the characters don't find out in a movie the audience still needs to have a way of learning what's going on so in a role-playing game you need to give away the characters can discover it if they don't that's fine as long as there was a way they could have um and that's why in a lot of my scenario reviews i will go in and talk about Okay, so this is where we're going to add the part where they can have figured out what was going on. Good luck. Maybe they'll find it. Uh, but I, I I, don't like the, the concept of we're going to have them go through the experience of the character in a, in a, in a horror story or horror movie. But we're going to deny the audience experience of learning why this is happening. Um, so and like I said those are mostly scenario issues. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to horror, one of the, the frequent comments that I get is, you know, whenever I've, I've talked about in general D and D players, which there are a lot of, um, will comment, which is cool. Uh, but they'll always bring up curse of Strahd, which is the expanded Ravenloft by, oh yeah, D and D fifth edition can do horror. Check out curse of Strahd. It's like, oh my God, really? Um, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Some some systems are more suited for it than others, and that's also where it comes down to vulnerability. Um, in fifth edition, as I said earlier, I think dying in fifth edition is kind of an accomplishment. Like when, when people would talk about, like, "Oh, we all died." Like, how? Uh, <laughs> when when my players and and I we had played it for a while, and we figured out that it was almost impossible to die in that game all of us suddenly lost our enthusiasm. And it wasn't that we wanted characters to die. I didn't want their characters to die. They didn't want their characters to die. But that realization that it really wasn't that that much of a, of a threat as we thought mm-hmm. it was really took that away. When we thought it was a threat, we were excited. When we realized through trial and error and lots of bad dice rolls and bad decisions on the players' parts that it was kind of impossible, that like, oh, wow, we nearly made it excitement really dimmed because it was like oh we really weren't at the the level of risk that we thought we were we didn't we didn't actually accomplish that and pull victory from the jaws of defeat like we thought we did uh so system wise there are ones that are far more suited for it than others and it needs to be one with that sense of mortality and where there is that serious risk and you know with the with the sanity thing which is a very tricky thing to to do i do like the concept of your basically your your mental or emotional hit points as well as the physical hit points because uh, you can have cases where they physically survive it but they are broken by the end and in, in a sense you know that's that was how they they lost is they lost their sanity or just emotionally if they're destroyed so i like the fact that it has multiple kinds of ways that you have to look out for mm-hmm. instead of it just being you know oh you hit zero hit points you're gone it can be 
you have a mental and a physical type of hit points. And uh, I do like that that sort of balance where it's it's more than just teeth and claws and, and noodly appendages that could kill you. It it can be emotional destruction. Just to tag on what you're saying there, I, see, it, it's a big issue what I that I have with with superhero games is as someone who read comics for many years, is no one ever really dies. I mean, especially with villains as well, they come back a bit too easy for me. Whereas more often than not with horror games, when you're dead, you're dead. Well, here's the difference, right? Because in a superhero game, we're used to the Marvel, DC idea of superheroes where everything's big lives in life. Death is, death is just an inconvenience. They'll find a way to rewrite a character back in and they put it back in and stuff. But if you're playing a, video, a role-playing game, one, you don't have to play by those death rules. And two... It will mostly only apply to the villains because you'll be playing the main characters. Hmm. So it's never really been a big deal to have characters resurrect in a superhero game because usually you can tie it to something that's related to the plot line. And resurrection is something that happens in a lot of genres within role-playing games, fantasy specifically, where a villain you've beaten will turn up 20 levels down the line as a lich or something to be like, ha I'm evil again, blah, 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 blah. I wasn't before. <laughs> I wasn't before, but I'm totally now. It's fine. Also, I got my hair done. It's great. I look fabulous. Come on, you are. It's great. It's dying is... Dying is an interesting concept when it comes to role-playing games. And for a lot of role-playing games, depending on what genre you're playing, they mean different things. If you're playing a hardcore fantasy game like Warhammer, death is always on the menu. It's always up there. Every second counts to go forward. If you're playing Masks, the next generation, death is just another inconvenience in the corner there that you're not going to deal with because that's not how you lose your character. You've got other things to worry about. That's like on the corner somewhere to have to think about for later. It depends on what you're playing and how you're playing it. I wouldn't worry about resurrected villains or heroes when playing a superhero game. It is not that big a deal or come up that often. Yeah, but how many times has Doctor Doom defeated them and, oh, look, it's a Doom bot again. Yeah, but that's the comics. You don't have to play that when you're playing the I know, but the comics are are the literature by which we judge this, aren't they? I'm going to say, Lloyd, you can't hold against the horror gaming genre Lovecraft who has been dead for almost a century and then when somebody criticizes superhero games be like well that the comics are nothing like it and just kind of <laughs> hand wave away Marvel and DC that are around right the fuck now <laughs> I'm mostly saying about role playing death I'm not saying those comics are good I'm not saying they're great. I'm I'm just saying most What's of the time been I'm dead twice as long as it was alive, and yeah. one of them now is Disney. So <laughs> mm. to be fair, it is Disney. I can't argue about that. I mean, just to tack on on what you, you were saying earlier, Seth, about um the, the whole the idea that everything has to be Lovecraftian. I think maybe I'm I'm with you on that because I think maybe that's why I enjoyed Impossible Landscapes as much as I did because it's the chamber mythos, the chambers mythos, which is entirely different. It's not tentacles or it's tentacle adjacent, let's say. 
<laughs> but um, it's not tentacle tentacle light. light maybe yeah there are one or two tentacles in it but it's not the main focus it tends to be with with the chambers mythos it's 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 a damned inevitability because we know at the end of every masquerade the king removes his mask and shows the the people of carcosa who who lives beneath beneath the mask and it repeats again and again and again for the rest of time and i think um i think the chambers the chambers mythos has been gaining a lot of traction in recent years well i mean that's what i use for ashes of onyx is it I, I, I was yeah i did i did it's it's about carcosa and the king in yellow and i went i, I used beers and chambers and in it i even mentioned there was this guy named Lovecraft who, who added his part of mythology, but that's actually not the true stuff. Like, you know, because it took place in the real world. I can't deny that people have read these things, no. but I actually gravitated more to the the actual, you know, original King in Yellow book as well as the the beer stuff before it, because it's one of it's one of the only types of fiction that has always been. People grab it and they do their own thing with it. Lovecraft was the third author that wrote about it. Yeah. Chambers was the second. And it's always been something about Carcosa lured the, what, what twist can we do? King has done his his own. Then there was True Detective uh, season one, which I remember being so excited when oh, I saw yeah. that it was doing um, the King in Yellow mythology. So it, it so Lovecraft kind of added his own spin, and then I I think most people think of it that like it was his. It's like no, he was writing fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> and and to be fair, in the beginning, not very good fan fiction. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it, some 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 of Lovecraft's writing I like. Um, some uh, I I actually have a lot of difficulty reading. His yeah, stuff. it's very wordy. Um, I could I could yeah. yeah. He was, he was clearly being paid by the word by Paul Magazine. <laughs> and, um, but so like one of the things like also with, um, one of the other games that I love is, is cult, which is much more, uh, it's Gnostic in the sense that the, the concept is the, the destruction of humanity is not the inevitable. It's about humanity actually freeing itself from the prison that it's in. Mm. It, it's actually, the, the the goal is to awaken. Um, it's kind of like the Matrix is a Gnostic story, and it so unlike the ones that's like, and you know, all we're doing is fighting to survive just one more day, but chaos will eventually win. That one's about we're fighting to wake up because we actually lost centuries ago, and we're only now discovering that everything we know has been as an illusion in a prison. So there, there is the, the flip of this is, this is one where the, the long-term isn't inevitable defeat. The long-term is we might be free. So as my counterpoint to Lloyd. I mean, how are you going to take that? Lloyd? Um, first up, uh, Quick question: Has anyone actually played the Yellow King by Paul Wayne Press yet? I haven't. Yes, but I, but I, it was offered on one of the grog meets, and I did think about it, but it was filled up before I could. Uh, uh, I've I... John Hook ran me through some at Chaosium Con last year, but it was like a, a secret game because it wasn't a Chaosium game. Oh, there was evidently some. I'm going to talk Chaosium with that later. I have to put on for the first one, and the second one being, I don't disagree with what Seth has said. Damn right. 
I think there is a lot of I I I I can be like, oh no, I I agree with you. I think I think there's less emphasis on Lovecraft in horror is a good idea, and I have no problem with it. I'm I I don't really feel like I, I don't really feel that was a rebuttal coming from me from what Seth said. No, I was just like, all right. I mean, it's good that you could you can see his point. Um, yeah. See, because I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see his. You point. can accept that he has a point. Would that be fair yeah. to say? Because I mean, to to talk just briefly touch on impossible landscapes, all the way through that scenario when I ran it, the characters were told from the beginning, "You've already been seen at the masquerade. We know you're there." But it wasn't until book four where they truly understood that they were going to the masquerade, and I kind of it kind of ties into what Seth was saying about it's it's the eventual realization that that you're part of the matrix, and you know you're going to wake up and see the world for what it truly is. And all the way through, all the way through impossible landscapes, you start seeing the truth of the world and reality's breaking down around you. And, and if I'm honest, I I much prefer that kind of horror. Give me a locked door with the handle turning slowly over the tentacle beast any day of the week. Just honestly, just give me Fright Night, the role playing game. Just <laughs> I'd play that. I just I'd play that. I'm like I'm just yeah cool. Let's go kill some vampires. That's where you start getting to like the the, the pulp horror, which is actually the shit that I love. Mm. Um, because, uh, you know, I do like the sense of vulnerability, but part of the reason why I gravitated to Pulp Cthulhu, like instantly was like, but also sometimes you want to jump off the, the building, you know, with a gun in each hand, shoot a bunch of bad guys, land on a horse and just ride off. And, you know, that's, yeah, I still want that. Uh, so that's why I actually like the, like the Pulp Cthulhu twist of, we're going to make you just a little bit more ass kicky than your your standard Call of Cthulhu type character where you're you're still mortal, you're still vulnerable, but you can also roundhouse kick a deep one. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't <laughs> want to do that? Also fair. It's interesting, right? Because we've had we had um Trails of Cthulhu, which uses the gumshoe system, where my my problem with the gumshoe system aside the concept of just spending points to find out more was something that really appealed to me in an investigative game. I thought, well, that would be a good way to investigation games because I'm like, oh, well, I have the points to spend. It's all right. It didn't really necessarily work out when I played through it. Never really gone back to Gumshoe since. But it really double-strengthened me on the idea that behind every Lovecraftian horror, there's a really good murder mystery case that could be could have been played <laughs> instead. Oh, no. I could be doing one of those instead. I've been way cooler without the horror bit at the end. Well, I mean, it, it, it's like I, I, for for Call of Cthulhu, I consider Agatha Christie just as much literary inspiration, yeah, because there are a lot of adventures that do reference Agatha mm-hmm. Christie. I mean, look at Horror on the Orient Express for God's sakes. I mean, just that's fair. I wonder if they ever did a a Lovecraftian mystery for, and then there were none. Uh, I would have thought that would have been really in the same genre. Oh. When I put this out there, someone will tell us whether they have or not. That's fair. So the next question I've got, it kind of relates to something that, that happened today. I did a, I did my my review of, of Cyborg, which is the um, futuristic version of Merkborg. And it it's an awful world you're playing, but it's different than, than Merkborg in that there's more survivability built into it and it lends itself better to campaign play. 
And one of the comments I got today was, Cyborg's actually a horror game. It, it, it owes more to horror than it does cyberpunk. And it got me thinking, are there any games, and we'll, we'll start with we'll start with you, you here, Lord. Are there any games that people think are one thing, but they're actually really like a superhero game? I mean, D&D 5th fifth, fifth side, which we've already discussed earlier. Are there any games that, that that people think are one game or the other, or specifically superhero games that are not actually superhero games? Well, because you're our superheroes guy for today, are there any superhero games which people actually don't realise they're actually they're all more to horror than they do superheroes? I'll tell you what, people don't realise it, but City of Mist is not a superhero game. City of Mist is an incri- Uh-oh, go on. Sir. City of Mist is PG-13 cult. <laughs> City of Mist is PG-13 cult. Like when I read it, this is PG-13 City- cult. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is far darker than has any right to be. You can lighten it up, but you're not gonna go in there kicking ass, taking names, being amazing. You're going to be losing aspects of yourself, gaining new aspects of, changing and contorting to what you used to be, so you don't recognize yourself anymore. And eventually, the mist will take you, and they will leave you a broken, shattered mess, depending on what has been left behind. It's why it's also one of my favorite roleplay systems, because it's really good at doing specifically that, where you are one type of hero at the beginning, and you are a different type of hero at the end. And how you get from one stage to another is incredible. And that's what makes City of Mist such a fun game to run and play. And that's what I would put down for my top 10. This might look like a superhero game, but it is not. Not even close. It is noir and dark and really meaningful, and you've got to go in with your full heart. But to be fair, noir is a type of superhero game, isn't it? I'm going to argue against that, because I don't think Happy Bullfight could punch a wall. Yeah, but look at Watchmen. Had very noir bits in it, didn't it? And like I always didn't say, you can tack superhero to any other genre to make that genre a superhero dash game. So you can make superhero pulp, superhero horror, superhero noir superhero shopping at the shops, superhero comedy. I don't think I'd want to play superhero shopping at the shops. I think it'd be a bit... Rubbish. I mean, it's, it's the general destination. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, to, be, <laughs> to be fair, it'd be better doing superheroes in the shops in America because you'd have to carry a load of gun everywhere. Oh, boy, I can't wait to go to Walmart with Superman. It'd be great. But it's one of those things that come up with that. Watchmen is a very good example because I wouldn't consider the comic books of Watchmen to be noir, but I'll consider the movie of Watchmen and the TV show of the Watchmen to be noir. And that is a superhero tacked onto well, something I mean, else on the side. I mean, because stuff I... Mm-hmm. But that's my answer. Noir is a flavor. Um, it's 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 a spice. And like the uh, the, the, new, the newest Batman movie was a, was a freaking detective story noir. Uh, I loved it. And it, it was it, so good. Oh my god! I've not seen it yet. It was it was good. Recommend, really um, recommend. It's so good. Did it have any sparkly vampires in it? Just before we. God, man. Oh my god. He's a really good actor. <laughs> He's never gonna live that down. <laughs> He's really good. But um, people are letting him back. Now, Some one of the things that I, I always I found very interesting, <laughs> like um, so. Rewinding time when uh when when Gygax that were creating D and D, he credited more to Robert E. Howard and and Fritz Leiber and the 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 sword and sorcery mm-hmm. um adventures over Tolkien, but Tolkien was massively popular, 
and that's what the people wanted and they were buying the game uh, but uh but but he really went to the sword and sorcery sword and sorcery is more rooted in horror than epic uh, fantasy because sword and sorcery in in that genre of fantasy the heroes are not the ones with the almighty powers the heroes are usually uh they might have a, a little bit of power but it's mostly wits and and cleverness that get them through it mm-hmm. the wizard is the one conan defeats through wits uh you know far for a gray mauser defeat the evil wizard by being clever and the power of friendship uh and with when you get <laughs> like the like my little pony like my little pony but then they visit a whorehouse afterwards but <laughs> if if i play so that. the original <laughs> 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 but the this, and and when you go back to before genres were really defined and it was still just called weird fiction and it was it was much more uh just kind of like hey it's a cool story and we didn't have genre rules that we had to follow um you know back in the the 20s and 30s before genres mm-hmm. got rules sword and sorcery lent itself much more into the, the horror side of things. And a lot more of the stuff that D&D was based on was horror. That's also why it has leaned more into the epic fantasy because that's what has become very popular the past few years, uh, like with the, the Lord of the Rings films and, and all of that, where you know, we're, we're going to save the world. And Sword and Sorcery is more about, I want revenge. I want money. Yeah, I want to get I, rich, I, wasn't I, it? It's, yeah. it's personal personal stakes well that's why the hobbit's sword and sorcery but lord of the rings is epic the hobbit is we're gonna kill this dragon we're gonna get its money and this shit's gonna be lit and lord of the rings is about we're gonna save the world from the overall dark lord mm. and that's why i preferred when i read them the hobbit far more than lord of the rings is i can associate with the incentive of kill the dragon get the money you know be a pimp so that's that's what i like you know i i can't really in my real life um associate with i'm going to save the world but stuff like motivations that are personal i can i can much closer associate with of you know revenge or love or greed so uh D actually did start off more horror um originally and now it is definitely definitely not um but i think stuff like noir you can weave into a lot of stuff it's a spice it's a flavor i mean noir means noir means black and when we look at the film noirs it was usually defined by shadows and sketchy people who might have uh, anti-heroes. You know, when, when you do like um, Maltese Falcon, Sam Spade's a dick. His partner <laughs> dies and he clearly didn't seem to care. He had something going on with Archer's wife. And when, when his partner dies, when Archer dies, he's pretty much telling the secretary, like, keep her away from me, keep her away from me. Because then she's so like, oh, Sam, now we can be together. And he's all like, yeah, I, I got to I gotta answer this phone. Go away. So he's not like a good guy. He's he's a jerk. But he's our hero that we follow. And in a lot of the, the noirs, our heroes really had a lot of morally gray to them. And also shadows are very stark and, and all of that because it was a it was a flavor of film i mean to, to be fair flawed heroes are always much more interesting to me oh yeah i i can take or leave them i don't need my heroes to be flawed a flaw is fun a flaw is nice i don't need it if they have it it's good if they don't i'm okay with it 
I think we, as a society, we've, come, we've reached a point where we're like, no, we need all our people to have at least something wrong with them. But sometimes I'm like, you know what? Actually, if you could be like the perfect personification of mankind, I'll take it. Because that's actually becoming rarer these days. I'll take having an actual genuine good person trying to do good things every now and then. But if you're doing a noir, there's no such thing because the point of noir is the best you can do as a character noir is to end at the same level that you started because you never get better. You always just stay the same or it gets worse. So it's essentially Survivor, isn't it? Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not sure whether that was a direct answer to what to what I asked Lloyd about what is a game that is people think is intrinsically horror, but it actually isn't. You you kind of said the opposite, Seth. You said that fa- fighting fantasy people thought was fantasy, but it was horror. But can you think of any examples where it's the, re- the reverse, where people think something is a horror game, but it's actually not a horror game; it's something else. Well, I've I've been preaching for years that Call of Cthulhu is an investigative game. <laughs> but, but as horror does, elements it does. though doesn't it but uh i think you could have a perfectly good one that has no horror at all and it's just pure <laughs> investigation and say, a lot of it just depends on what you do with it uh because i think i think it could be done with almost any system and the ones that advertise it as 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 just being a horror game so i'm like i don't know if it's a horror or if it's just bad so i don't i <laughs> you like you wanted to make a point there Lloyd. what was it I think the concept that Call of Cthulhu is an investigative game way more than it is a horror game is extremely correct because a lot of modules of Call of Cthulhu that I've read has always been 80% investigation, 20% horror at the end. It's been get to the place, talk to a bunch of people, do some investigation nonsense for no reason whatsoever. Oh no, wibbly tentacles. Ah, ending. And that's been the genre in a nutshell, which has been really sad because I've always enjoyed the 80% where I'm just investigation bit and not the other 20% where I don't care anymore. So I'm kind of with Seth on that one. See, it's funny that because to just touch on one of Random Possible Landscapes again, obviously, but it's it's my recent, most recent thing of Ran, which was a big campaign and obviously based on The King in Yellow. The horror is there from the start and it runs all the way through. And at the end you're kind of expecting what's going to happen because you've been told all along what's going to happen. There's no investigate, 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 big horror ending, run for your life or die. It's very much, the more you investigate, the more horrible things you find out. I mean, I managed to get Pookie to twitch, for God's sake. That's a Wow. Yeah. I actually got, to, got him to look at the screen and kind of go do it like, oh my God, that was awful. <laughs> Which I consider one of the crowning achievements of my life. I, that's actually a really good... <laughs> Yeah, that 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 deserves at least like one little stripe. On I would shoulder. put up and a CV, and I got and I got Scott to say fucking Dennis the Twiller, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what all the way through on Twitter we would we kept on saying fucking the Twiller, and Dennis actually responded, oh, "I'm doing it right then." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so another question I've got. Let's see how we've been going for, but the answer an hour and a half. That's flown, isn't it? And we're gonna split this up into two episodes, man. That's that's cool. Oh no, you can probably edit it down to forty-five minutes. Just cut a bit to it. I'm like, I'm talking. I promise. I'm no, no, you, I've enjoyed Those it. The best parts. <laughs> well, the thing is, I've got a couple of questions which people sent me to ask you, Seth. Okay. Okay. Wait, did also question for me? Wow. Well, no, wow. Because you were, you were wow. last minute, Lloyd. 
Okay, I've got a question for Lloyd then. What do you think of the police? Fuck I don't mean the band. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Fuck that too. That that's what I say, like, wait, wait, what are you getting a sting? <laughs> I mean, sting for God's sake. What haven't you got against them? The first question someone sent me, and I didn't take the name, is what is something that people often misunderstand about you? Um, Misunderstand about me? Um... I mean, obviously, going on what they've heard off podcasts and on your YouTube channel and and your writing. Um, I th- I think I guess I, my most recent frustrations have been um, I get called uh I don't know very very wholesome a lot, which always kind of blows my mind because it's like, uh, tell me you've never read my fiction without telling me you've never read my fiction. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think one of the big things that people do misunderstand is when I do approach how to's of like, you know, how to do this or kind of my, my philosophies, it is about my philosophies that work for me, not the philosophies that will definitely work for everyone. Because the types of games that I run are, you know, in person, they're my buddies that I've known for years that we've built this, uh, a long-term relationship with each other. Mm. And, you know, we, we play together around a table and we try to wrangle having a, a game in at the same time that there's, you know, kids and jobs and other hobbies and a billion other things pulling everybody, every different direction. And people assume that what I'm saying works for me, works for everyone in all situations. And that's not it. And over the years that I've been doing the channel, I've had to actually add a lot more and more disclaimers to the point that irritates me how long I have to give disclaimers as far as like, this isn't for everybody, you know, depends on your situation, blah, blah, which I thought would be obvious until I I used to see a lot of hate mail until I had to put in like a minute and a half to two minutes worth of disclaimers as far as, you know, this works for me, but I'm not saying it's best for everybody you know, situation, situation, personal preference, personal preference. Okay. Now that that's out, let's get on with the show. Uh, so I, I think people do seem to think that I am coming in with an air of authority of this is how it has to be when it's trying to be, this is how this is, this is what works for me. And yeah, if it doesn't work for everybody, that's cool. But I know it works for me and not everybody else can say they've played with the same people for 20 years. So clearly I'm doing something that works for us. Um, but that not everybody has a situation. And I think one of the weirdest eye opening experiences I had was when I had my first con game and the, the experience of sitting with a bunch of people that I have never met and I will never speak to again. And we have to figure out how to, be introduced to a game because, you know, most con games, not everybody knows the rules walking in. Mm-hmm. You'll be introduced to the game, play a game, have it be satisfactory. And in four hours, and then we never see each other again. It's like, like, you know, like hooking up at a swingers club or something. And <laughs> how, how you would uh, approach and, and do that is completely different than how I recommend run because it's, it's a different animal altogether. Uh, same thing when we start looking at a lot of online games. You know, when, when I play in person, I play for eight to 10 hours because we can squeeze in one day a month that we cram in an all day and a dinner. And, but when we play online, 
man, at four hours, all of us are ready to punch out because our brains have started shutting down. And so when I'm like, yeah, you know, we play for eight hours. If people who only come from it, from the concept of they're playing online are hearing, I'm telling you that you should play online for eight hours. Oh boy. That's not at all what I'm saying. (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously at Gen Con last year, I mean, all three of us were there and, uh, and I met, um, Jorge and Jorge said, "You're just horrible to each other. <laughs> you just play. You just <laughs> insult each other constantly. Um, take the mick out of each other. You just, but that's because you can do that because you've spent twenty years playing together. Oh yeah, um, I said we're we are very we're very close friends. Uh, they're 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 my absolute closest friends, but we give each other so much shit. Uh, but they're mm-hmm. also if if I if I needed somebody if I needed help." They're also the same people I would call first. Yeah. And, you know, but you know, how, how, how we treat each other is how best friends over decades treat each other, which is also why when people are like, you should record your games that like, you don't want to see what we are like, right? <laughs> we have had an escalating gross out contest. That's going to be going on for 20 years. It's fucking Thunderdome <laughs> level now. <laughs> just, <laughs> just... <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I remember what you said when, I mean, there's a video of you eating a Tunnock tea cake for the first time. Remember the oh, mar- yeah, like yeah. the marshmallow thing? And you were like, you bit it. You said, what's that marshmallow? And then you went, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, when I when you had a French fancy, which are a little, for those who don't know, they're like a little, I don't know what's the best way, a little kind of sponge cake with cream. And you bit it. Chewed it for a minute and turned to me and went, it's like going down on an angel. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's, that sounds like something I would say. Yeah. And I said, what? And you went, it's like going down on an angel. You said exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what our games are like nonstop for eight hours. It's yeah. just very descriptively vulgar because that's how, that's our level of, that's what we find funny. Oh, Lloyd was a Lloyd leaned forward to say something like that. <laughs> nope, nope. Back it on this one. You're on your own. Okay. The other question. Well, got- oh, actually, I, I do have something to say. Actually, I do. There is there is an art when it comes to playing and running games with people you've played and run games for so long with compared to doing it with complete strangers. Absolutely, yeah. And as someone who runs games that are bad games, I'm always playing with new people all the time. But there is a huge comfort zone when you have people you know at the table because you know how far you can take certain things. You know what people's limits are. You know what your limits are. You know what your strengths are. And it's every time I get to play a game where it's with my group, my group that I've been playing with for 10 years, I always feel like all the shackles, all the... Even if I fuck up, it's not that bad. And that's the part I like the most about gaming is... No matter how much loose gaming you do, nothing compares to everything you do with your home. Absolutely. And, that, and that's always been the, the, the kind of X card arguments where people don't kind of get it, as far as I'm concerned, is X cards for for convention play, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. With your own group, you normally know how far you can push things. You oh, I, like I so, said, uh, so, so everybody you know, George or Jorge, but he, he goes by George. Um, <laughs> and is he, 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 for a while had like, when, well, it was during, during COVID. He actually finally had it. He talked about doing it for years, but since we had to play online, 
due to, uh, you know, we were all locked in our own houses, had a little bell, like a reception desk bell. And he would always ding the bell, whatever it had gone too far. But it was a joke. So every time, <laughs> usually me, said something that was just over the top, vulgar or offensive. It was then followed by a little ding. And, but that was, that was the joke. There was no actual stop because I, you know, he, he, he was at, he was, he was at my wedding, you know, but yeah. the other players was my best man. I've been married for 17 years. We are at the comfort level that we don't need the, the tools that X cards are to basically broach with people you aren't as comfortable with. We can be like, dude, you know, and, and, and have a, a, a serious talk right then. Uh, but if it is a, a new group or a table of total strangers, uh, those those tools are very important. And I think a lot of the grognards, when they do encounter stuff like X cards at first, are like, I don't need that because I've been playing with guys for 10 years. Like, cool, then you don't need that. But that doesn't mean they're bad. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've made this argument from the start. Um, plus, I think as well with conventions, most, I'm going to say normal people, and the broadest possible term, most normal people behave when they're conventions. Yet you get the odd idiot who'll do or say something wildly inappropriate or will run a game with something wildly inappropriate. I think you're on mute, Lloyd. You muted yourself. Nope, I'm no. still here. You can still hear me. Yeah. He um, just sometimes moves his lips. <laughs> <laughs> but both generally people know how to behave at a convention. Generally. You know, I've been to, I mean, I only really started going to conventions over the last few years. I was very much within the kind of walled garden of my group and the different groups I've been in. But I knew how to conduct myself because I'm I'm generally just, for the most part, just a normal fella. I know, I know with my own group, I would say things completely differently than I would say with a group of people I've just met. And the people who, who, who are like that are generally unpleasant, in my opinion, in my experience. Yeah. Well, my my first my first convention game was like right before COVID. I'd never had one before. I'd really? never done the game, the game store games or anything like that. Never done it. And I, I uh, when I, I was at a convention, and at the convention we were talking about, wow, there's that that illness that's hitting Italy right now. That sounds really bad. That's and bad, so like that's how close to like we got home and lockdown was like just a couple weeks after that. Um, and it was for some of the tools like Lines and Veils. Lloyd's actually the one that I credit for getting me totally on board with those. Is uh, he ran me through a, a scenario <laughs> at Modifiuscon. I told oh, him yeah. this, but he forgot. I and, forgot! And, and, and he, he said the, the little Lines and Veils. I'm like, I can't hurt about these. And it was actually the, like the last one on there. There's all the like, you know, animal torture, child eating, all the normal ones. And everybody's going to, you know doing what they rated as it was uh COVID-19 and I sat there and thought it's like you know that's a good point I don't know any of these people I don't know who they have lost I don't yeah. know how this has personally affected them I don't know this and I, and, and we're gonna play playing like Octon Cthulhu which is like COVID-19 is definitely not going to be there this is just kind of a, a, a blanket thing but then it, it got me thinking about how I don't know how these people have been affected by any of this stuff and they're total strangers. And that was where it really, really clicked at, 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 at a big level because this is a different situation than when I play with my buddies who we 
we all met at 20. So that was, uh, it's just because different type of game than what I normally do. Mm, I get that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, luckily when we were at, we were at Gen Con, um, we went as a gang and booked a lot of the games as a gang because obviously with Keith and Scott from the Titterbix podcast, we've become friends over the last couple of years through having to, you know, talk to people online and make it, making new friends. So it was our one chance to get to play together and at a table together. But so to a degree, we kind of knew each other and how far things would we could push. But then you don't want you don't know what the the person who's running the game is going to be like. No, and and that's the other one. It's like the the, the, the GMs, the the the, the new variable and mm. but you guys also ended up at the game where the guy was scrolling through porn on his phone oh, so yeah. i mean you, you 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 walked away with my new favorite uh, con game horror story oh god you, pookie was falling asleep <laughs> but the thing is not even the porn as, was that interesting <laughs> for as bad as oh, that guy was. War for that game would have been so good oh it was it was like it was like it was like water torture we were sitting there at one one point as well. The GM said, um, "I see we've run out of time. Just want to carry on for a bit." And we all went, "Oh no, we've got other games to go to." All got our phones out to to check our, you know, the Gen Con app. Looking at blank screens. Oh yeah, yeah, we've got a game to go to now. We just couldn't bear it anymore. Pookie said to us, "The only relief he had was going to the toilet to get away from the table." <laughs> Jesus, it God. was terrible. The guy was reading from <sighs> the book, and it was like. He was reading it for the first time. Oh, yeah. terrible! But then we had a brilliant oh, game of Delta Green. Well, that was one. Of the, that was the game I was trying to get in on, except yeah. for you know, I sat for stuff with George. So like, you guys are like taking so many seats to somebody else, some random person. Yeah, it was only five players, seats, like, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I need two. <laughs> and well, like next year maybe. Um, twenty twenty four, sure. Because mm-hmm. that's what we're looking at. I know Pookie's definitely gonna do it, but um. Me and Alex are hoping Inversion does well enough for us to be able, for me to be able to save up and go. Um, so the second question I had was from somebody. I didn't make a note of the people who sent them, unfortunately, so I do apologise. Has anyone ever made a comment on one of your videos that changed the way you thought about what you said in a video? Um, well, yeah, I'd already talked about disclaimers of how I have to start doing a lot of disclaimers. Uh, when I first started, you know, I would I would approach a lot of subjects with the the concept that people understood certain fundamental things that had already taken me years to understand. Um, so one of my first, uh, my first big video, the one that actually like blew up and got me started in the, in the algorithm was uh, one where I approached like, like you know, five worst players that good players make. And I'd since taken down that video because people brought up very legitimate things. And it wasn't that I changed my opinion on those subjects is that I had to absolutely change my approach mm-hmm. uh, because like I talked about um, the, the one trick pony type of character where they took all their skill points and they dumped them all into one thing. So there's one thing they're amazing at and they suck at absolutely everything else um, where they're, they're so hyper specialized that if they can't do that one limited thing, the players just kind of, they just suck. They're just sitting there. They're kind of a drain of the party. Or there's um, the painfully average, which is the other extreme where they took their skill points and they were so afraid of missing out on something. They spread them out so thin yeah. across everything. That's like, oh, congratulations. You suck at absolutely everything. You're you're a character that is just always constant 
just disappointment. You don't have any anything you're good at, and there's nothing you're good at. Um, or the Thirteenth Warrior, which has to deal with theme campaigns, and that one got a lot of blowback. People people got very mad when I spoke about that, and it was clear that they didn't understand what I meant when I talked about a theme game. Um, so all five of those, after I took down that video, I then went back and I approached in other videos where I first explained the concept that had mm-hmm. taken me years to get to. And that's like, okay, now that we're here on the concept of what a theme game is, now we're going to talk about 13 Warriors. So it, it, it was the, the idea when people, people would give the responses and instead of my knee jerk reaction, cause there were a lot of just jerks and I got weird ass hate mail. It, it became clear that. I wasn't making my point well. Mm. And also when you first start a YouTube channel or anything like that, it does take a while to learn your own voice, absolutely, which, yeah. which, you know, but you would, you understand is yeah, because absolutely. it sounds really strange. Like you put a camera on yourself and, it, and then it takes like six months to figure out who you are. And it's not yeah. that you're faking it. It's just when a camera's on you, you inherently will have a way you present yourself. And that's just human nature. Um, and that was during that time. So it really did change how I approached things and really trying to think in a much broader sense rather than just basically my own my own exact way of looking at it. I had to kind of widen it out so other people could see what I was talking about before I broached what that was. Um, so those are the big things that really changed uh, based off of comments as far as getting to see not everybody is inherently on the same kind of understanding of certain things, which yeah. was silly that I ever thought they would be. <laughs> I mean, you post it essentially with blinkers based on your own experience without thinking that other people have it different ways. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if I come in saying like, Hey, at 15 years, I've come to this opinion and I start basically right there <laughs> to somebody that hasn't had 15 years of experience with this one specific thing. Of course, they're not going to understand mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. <laughs> I wouldn't have. So, that I, that's the big one, where where people have changed my my mind on something. I think it says a lot about people that like you can be open minded. I consider myself quite open minded, with the caveat that Toon is the worst ever game ever made, and it's and it owes more to horror than it does any other game. But you look like you're going to make a point there, Lloyd, because you went kind of raised your finger and then decided not to. <laughs> well, I was going to. I was going to interrupt halfway through what Seth no. was saying. Crack on on that subject, Seth, about the where your videos have changed due to feedback, what are the dis- the main disclaimers you've had to start using for your future videos in order to make sure everyone knows where you're coming from when it comes to your video stuff? Um, Some of the stuff that I, I, I will say kind of standard things uh, as far as I, I will say, you know, what works for me, there are exceptions because, you know, any absolute you ever say when it comes to role-playing games you will have one guy come in with an exception as if that that has disproven absolutely everything yeah. you've said. And so if you just have to go and say, yeah, there's exceptions. And sometimes I can even name them. You know, it doesn't change the fact that generally this is how it is. Uh, it's like such as I don't like character versus character games. I just don't. No, I don't. Uh, I, I think once I, th- I think when character versus character gets involved, it usually goes off the rails and uh, it is, it devolves into a bunch of personal bitter, just bullshit and nobody enjoys it unless it's a really well done game of paranoia. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But fair, fair point. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, but generally speaking, 
outside of clear exceptions, this is how I feel. Um, so you, I do have to come in with talking about exceptions and um, how you approach it. And it's so much more wordy. And I think I did have somebody recently mention how much more wordy I have gotten before I actually get to the meat. Yeah, of I know topics. what you mean. It's funny because I'm going to, I've told you this a while back, I'm going to start doing a series of me on the camera for the first time for patrons only. And it's a guide to running impossible landscapes as someone who's ran it. But I'm going to obviously have to make the disclaimer at the beginning that I ran this as written and you might run it differently. But I'm just offering advice based on what is written on the book in the book. You you could run you could run me through it. I think I I, I lightly skimmed part of it because when I got it, I'm like, oh, this is too long for what I'm wanting right now. <laughs> I literally have it on the shelf right now, like unread. If I thought you would turn up every week or every fortnight to play a game of Impossible Landscapes, I would run you through it. My schedule is so all over the place. I can't commit <laughs> exactly. to weekly. I haven't been able to do that since I was since I was twenty. I'm I'm in awe of people that can do that. It's it took us eighteen months to get through the campaign. Yeah. I was looking for something that was about eight to ten. So when I get possible escapes, it's like, oh shit. Yeah, but we were playing Fortnite, and to be fair. So if you think and re- really it took if we were to be playing a weekly, it was it was about nine months. So how many sessions is that sessions is that weekly? I think we did it in twenty six sessions. That's like twenty more sessions than I want to give it anything in my life, but I respect that. <laughs> I do I do monthly, so twenty six. Um <laughs> Do you only get to play monthly? That's usually what we do. Yeah. But they're eight to ten hour games. Well <laughs> you make up for we're it. there for ten hours. But the first hour is bullshitting and catching up. Yeah. And that there's probably at least an hour to two hours intermixed of somebody going like, Oh wait, I didn't tell you what's going on with my kids or, you know, Hey, I was, I, I, I was watching this thing on, on, on Amazon. Do you guys see this? Uh, so I think if you were to edit all that out, our games are about seven, eight hours. That's still long though. Yeah. 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 It's an all day event, man. We used to play four. I mean, we're playing in Iconoclast at the moment, um, uh, with Keith from the Titter Pigs. Um, and we're doing like three to four hour sessions, but he's running it in a cinematic way. So when there's a good cliffhanger, he ends the game. And I think it kind of suits how it's run because it takes it takes place in Afghanistan. And the the first part of that, you're playing members of ISIL, which was fun, which was actually a lot more fun than I thought it'd be. Wow. Yeah, I, um... I mean it's it's not what you think. You're not you know there's no having a go with people for being infidels, and there's no. There's no beheadings and that kind of what you might possibly expect, but it's still very much in the flavour. Uh, but you, but for the most part, you're playing characters who aren't from Afghanistan. You're people who've joined ISIL from other countries. So yeah, it's wow. it's it's an interesting approach. Uh, I had one more question. Okay. Okay, this was the question. What would be one tip that you would give a new gamer that would instantly improve their gaming experience? And I'm going to ask you the same question in a minute, Lloyd. Any like any any gamer like GM or player or just a general? Just generally, but we can do um, with horror as well if you want. Okay, um, man, one of my biggest biggest tips and like my, my very first video and my whole foundation of the whole philosophy of gaming that I have comes down to before the game starts, you choose, you you make you mentally make the decision that you're gonna have fun, and you don't put the uh, the task that I won't have fun unless X, X and X happens or until, unless it is X, I'm not going to enjoy it because if you just walk in with the assumption of this is going to be fun and you're, it makes you receptive to whatever 
is there, you are far more likely to have fun than if you put any sort of mental qualifications on it. And I, I find that a lot of people, when they complain about issues that they're having in the in, in games, whether they're running them or playing them, uh, comes down to they had some sort of uh, just marker that it had to hit. And because it didn't hit that marker, they were disappointed in the game or they're getting frustrated or and all these issues happened. And I think if they had just walked in and said, hey, man, I'm going to have fun. If my players just take it off the rails, cool. I'm going to have fun today. And I, I think if you walk in with that in mind, that this is going to be fun, that's the biggest tip I can give. Then after that comes to all the other stuff. But it, if you don't walk in with that at first, it, it nothing else is as important. So, so, so to flip it on the whole, how what what is a good tip you would you would offer to someone who wants to run a really good horror game? With a with a good horror game, one your players need to know they're playing horror. Don't don't let it be a surprise. If mm-hmm. if they if they come in knowing that it's going to be horror, they will help you achieve the goal. If they don't know it's horror, they're actually more likely to be cutting up. They're going to be trying to lighten the mood and all that because they don't know that the goal is that we are trying to to have horror. And that if, but if your players come in, like, you know, if you go to a haunted house and you're expecting a haunted house, it's fun. If you grab somebody randomly off the street and you threw them in, in, in a haunted house, they're not going to enjoy it. Uh, so so with, with horror and with, with mysteries, the, the first thing is everybody needs to know walking in that, that this is what we're going for. And your players will try to do it. There is a fantasy that a lot of people have of, I will surprise you. And like, you know, aha, today we're doing a horror game. And if that works, that's a beautiful thing. But most most often, it's best just to be really fun. Hey, we're going to do a horror game today. And if everybody knows that's the goal, everyone will try to achieve that goal. They'll buy in, essentially, yeah. Yeah. And with every I have never played a game ever where people didn't cut up and laugh and joke around. And I would never want to play a game where we didn't cut up and laugh and joke around. But in a horror game, they are much faster on the recovery of like uh, somebody gives a joke, we all laugh, boom, right back into the mood that we're going for. Uh, mm-hmm. Versus if we're if they don't know that that's the mood we're going for, the GM then is trying to drag it back to this other direction and the players don't know that uh, they're doing their natural inclination of cut, you know cutting up and laughing and taking whatever direction so big tip for horror excellent so so lloyd same questions to you mine is really simple for the first one um information if there's one advice i always give no matter what game you're playing always remember that you are not alone you are playing the game with a team you even a gm is on that team and you're working together, not against each other. A lot of newbie players think they're playing singular solo games against each other or want to tell your own story. And you have to get into their heads that it's not about their individual story. It's about the group's story that's being told. If you can get your head into the point where you're working as a team, everything else will flow directly after it. Mm-hmm. Fair point. It's true. Uh, so so many RPG horror stories where you see it really comes out to a main character syndrome. Yeah. Of the 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 player had trouble grasping that there's other people in the room, and most of my bad player experiences came down to they had trouble understanding that 
they weren't the only person there. Yeah, it's part of the, uh, the the concept that the game master should always tailor everything perfectly for what the player wants. Sounds great. That sounds like great advice, and I totally agree. The problem is if you got five players. Yeah, and you can't you can't do it then, can you? It, it's it's not possible. It has no. to be compromise as far as we're going to try to give you guys the thing that 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 each of you want that everybody is also on, on board with or, or try to do some like kind of like we're going to kind of shift the spotlight a bit this time but it can't be exactly everybody's the main character because we've got four or five or however many players there who all have their own like agendas and wants and, mm-hmm. and everything so. and for advice on running a superhero game Remember, plagiarism isn't illegal if you don't write it down. There is enough superhero content out there that you can just steal shit and no one will know. No one will ever know that you stole that line from a comic book that came out in 1973. No one will ever know. Feel free to jack what you need to make your shit work. I just think that's that's just advice for RPGs. But it's funny, isn't it? Because people might respect you a bit more if you've they're big comic book fans and you've stole this idea that was from the 50s they'd be like oh so you've read that as well you know you're part of a little club I know this oh yeah you can be like yep i'm i'm original that's me <laughs> superhero games are always hard to run if you can't keep the idea that you're not just you're not running a darker game you're run- well, you can't run a darker game you're not just running any normal game you're running a superhero game so you have to make them do superhero s things mm. Don't let the players be bogged down by modernity. You have to get past the mundane and become spectacular. Is that an idea for Spectaculars? Also, Spectaculars is a great role-play <laughs> game. Go out there and buy it today. It is so worth it. Oh my god. Don't buy it. Nobody buy it. Ignore this person. He likes impossible landscapes. There's no taste. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> well, that's all the questions I have for you, Seth. But I would like you to come on again sometime. Because I know Griff would love to talk to you. Oh, no, no. This, this is fun. I'll enjoy it. I mean, you know, we've we've chatted for coming up to two hours now. So, well, sorry, Lloyd's chatted for an hour and a half. We've chatted for about 30 minutes. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so I'll, I'll end here and I'll say, obviously, a big thanks to Lloyd for stepping in, in the breach, like the absolute hero that he is. They should write a game about you, Lloyd. I know. I mean, I deserve at least four different role-playing <laughs> All Savage Worlds. Oh. <laughs> but and obviously I'd like to thank thank Seth for, for coming on and just chatting with us about about horror stuff. Oh man, it's... but mostly superhero stuff it would appear. I, I... <laughs> I love talking with both you guys, so no, no problem at all. I love this. And we will we will definitely have you on uh, again at some point in the future where because Griff wants to talk to you about your novels. Oh man. Whereas while I can imagine a lot of people want to talk to you about Call Cthulhu and your YouTube channel and role playing. I bet there's less people want to talk about your novels. Would I be? Would, is that an incorrect assumption? No, no. I actually started the YouTube channel originally as a way to help kind of promote my writing, and then the YouTube channel mm-hmm. rested past that. So instead of being an author that does YouTube, I became a YouTuber that also happens to write a few books. So uh, yeah, it is, it is. It is definitely the the lesser of the uh, the the parts of me that people care to talk about. Sadly, well, yeah, but. I mean, I mean, it's it's not it's not sad because you've done you've done well for yourself to be fair, haven't you? Yeah, I have. 
Although I do, I do, I do take issue with something Griff pointed out in one of your books. What's that? He talked about the gra- what the grasslands of the Wirral in one in 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 Dameron. Mm-hmm. But I live literally over the water from the from the Wirral. It's about a couple of miles across the sea, and I don't think it has grasslands, <laughs> or, or I'm horribly mistaken. <sighs> I think it was talking about the the, 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 the the Moors, but I was just trying to get some sort of something similar for lore there, and it actually wasn't a whirl. I, I know I'm going to have someone say to me, there is grasslands in the Whirl, and blah, 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 blah. And, I, and if I do, then I, I apologize in advance if I'm, if I'm wrong. I don't know if I use the term grasslands. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't something like that. I haven't read Dameron in a while. Um, also, never let facts get in the way of a good story. Exactly. Well, yeah, there is that. Well, you at least want it to like look like you've got some facts. So I always try to keep everything as close to possible. Or it's like if the, the first line of investigation checks out, like, oh, wow, he knows what he's talking about. They won't notice I made it the second <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to research it and I'm going to cut this bit out if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, what's, what's weird is like with, with Dameron, um, I, I, some, of the, some of the critics like, kind of like thought it was doing a lot of Final Fantasy fan fiction. People compared it to like, some sort of anime thing. Because he, the 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 book is named after the revolver that's got the sword blade underneath it, and one of the areas that I did the most research on is Dumontier cutlass revolvers, which were made by a, a French gunsmith named Dumontier, and I have so much information on the very real ones and the very real gunsmith who it is credited for making this thing, and people are like, oh, it's Final Fantasy, like. No jackasses. That's one of the few things that's totally real. <laughs> All the other stuff I made up, but um, yeah. So so yeah, yeah. Check me on that. You'll be impressed how deep that one goes into actual realistic. <laughs> but grasslands of the whittle. Nah, that's fine. <laughs> I think there's just some conversation of one of the characters' kind of origin stories when he when he fought um one of the black dogs. You would probably like Ashes of Onyx more because it is uh, Carcosa based. Well, I may well pick it up, but I do have a pile of books bigger than my house to get through. Well, yeah, audio books. Uh, Dan Dameron was an audio word finalist. Was it? And so was Hanasia. Yeah, my first two novels were actual like I went to the audio words and everything, and then yeah, uh, first one I lost to Girl with All the Gifts. That one beat me, and um, second one I lost to is it White Trash Zombie Seven. <laughs> I mean, I've got Michael Moorcock's new Elric book to read. There, not even looked at it yet. See, I, I'm I, I do audiobooks, so I just every time I'm like, I like I come up with excuses to like do run errands and do stuff, so I can like pop my headphones in. So, would you know anyone anyone who had an Audible link for this? <laughs> You're now an affiliate, aren't you, with with Audible? Um, I I have I have an advertiser affiliate sort of thing, but it's like these weird hurdles you have to do in order to, to get the credits for it. But yeah. Yeah, I, I technically do. Actually, on um, one of my videos, I actually have the link. Where if you click that link, it can do it. But it has to be the link off that specific video you click. Right. Because <laughs> I've got a long trip ahead of me tomorrow, and I'm thinking an audio book in the car might be good. I think it was viral. Was it? I think viral was, was the one that it I did. Was, it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Go go to my video of viral. Damn it! That there it is. <laughs> I've heard that's terrible. <laughs> Look, I only gave that a positive review because I like the author. But. Don't tell him. That's fine. I'll tell Alex, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we were actually discussing the sequel of the day. Well, I look forward to uh, to playtesting that. Well, you're going to playtest Inversion first, aren't you? Yeah. You're going to get to play with Scott Dorwood again. I don't mind doing that. I, I, I know you don't. 
<laughs> oh, man, I'll do that. Well, to be honest, we're... Well, let me know. And I've said to Alex, I'm going to save the final playtest for you guys when we've got all it all look, looking good. Well, Alex also really likes very long scenarios, high page count scenarios. That's a, that's something I've, I've actually spoken to Alex about is, which is something you touched on earlier, the idea of putting all this lore in that the players never find out. Yeah, I think I think that was actually with... Um, Carnival uh, Madness, yeah. Carnival of Madness. I, I, I brought that up as like one of my, my, my big concerns is... Yeah, we got all this great stuff. It'd be cool if the players got to learn yeah. it. Um. But it's funny because with Inversion, we've got all this law written, but the, there's every intention for the players to find out what's going on. We've tried to design it that well, way as a, as a way of addressing that kind of criticism. Well, if they could find out, then they could use that. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that leads to a much more enjoyable thing because uh, even even in like movies, when you watch it, even if the heroes never know why the bad thing is happening, the audience does. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And in a game, a role-playing game, the players are the audience, so there needs to be a way that they can learn it too. Yeah. You need exposition, definitely. So. <sighs> I would say, I think that's the thing about horror games as well that is really hard, is getting that information to the players without it being like a wall of text they read yeah. in the last And also minutes. cheesy as well, a cheesy way of them finding out. Yeah. It just ru- it ruins horror games when there's a cheesy exposition for me. That's the thing, right? If there's, if a cultist has gone through a lot of trouble to try and resurrect the god, and the players don't even know the god's name, by the end, what's the fucking point? Well, yeah. I think uh, video games have a very easy way to do that because they can like, have other characters come in and talk. But you can't do that in a role-playing game. That's not that easy. You can't just have like a whole bunch of NPCs turn up and say random innocuous things to different NPCs and the players have to put it all together. It's it's harder to do based on the genre, specifically for that kind of horror story told. But at the same time, don't horror players expect to get the gist of the story at the very end? Isn't that what horror players expect? Yeah. They're like, we know we know what's going on, but we'll get it when we get there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the realization at the end about what's the kind of the horrific realization of what's been going on or the sad realization or whatever. Well, it, it depends. Like, if you, if you look at horror, um, Alien, they find out pretty damn quickly what they're dealing with. And that's where the horror comes from. Yeah. Um, because the it's there with them. They find out pretty damn quickly. Like, the dogs are making all this noise. They go in. They look at this abomination that's killed their dogs. Yeah, and you're talking about the thing, away. not alien. The thing? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> flipping, yeah. You, but, well, with alien, like, you know, like, it pops out of the guy's chest. It goes yeah. running away. And it's like, holy shit. And they know it's got acid blood. They know it's got this. The problem is they don't know where the hell it is. Um, and then with the thing, they don't know who the hell it is. And so I don't I don't think there has to be uh, the realization at the end. I think it can be presented very early. And then the horror comes from where or who is this? Because we know what the threat is. So there's, there's different ways you can approach it uh, versus the, the end exposition, which is really difficult to do in a game situation that doesn't involve a wall of text that the GM has to read. It's funny because cause you, you brought up the thing and that's the big, it's the big exception to that rule. 
because the Norwegian guy at the beginning says in Norwegian, don't go near it. It's not a dog. It's a thing. It's a monster. Yeah. So anyone who was Norwegian watching that movie got spoiled at the beginning. Well, yeah, except, I mean, you know, it's not like it didn't take that long after that before they figured that out, too. Also, I'm well, it wasn't pretty long. sure anyone in the cinema would have probably known what it is they were watching before they got in the cinema, to be fair. Oh, well, of, co- of course, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very rare you go to the cinema with... I, I'm in, And I can remember the last time I went to cinema with not knowing anything about a movie, and it was The Matrix. I was I, w- I went with a friend. He said, there's this new movie, movie out, The Matrix. This is when the internet was kind of in its infancy, uh-huh. 99. Uh-huh. And I went, see, I went to see The Matrix, and then when he wakes up from The Matrix... I did not expect it. The first time I saw it, I had no idea what the movie was about. People only told me about special effects, and I didn't care for that because that was the summer we had the mummy, man. We had, that was the summer of the mummy. (laughs) We had Fight Club. We had so many great movies that That came out. Great year. Galaxy Quest. And they're like, South Park, the musical. And and they're like, you should go see The Matrix because the special effects is like, fuck this. This is the best summer movie season of my life. And so I didn't. And so the very first DVD I ever saw was I wandered into a buddy's dorm room and I watched The Matrix having no idea. So when he woke up, I was like, what the fuck is this movie about? Or like when his mouth vanished. Like, so Uh, I spent. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, So that movie blew my mind because I was completely clueless. Um, because all I knew was black leather trench coats, and so like what was on the poster, and people's eyes would glaze over and they talk about special. There's some sort of bullet mm. time. Do you know? I went to see South Park the Musical in the pictures, and it's the only time in all the years I've lived, I've been a cinema where the where the audience gasped, <laughs> did a proper <gasps> when when Tens and Phillips started started uh, singing. Are you talking about South Park? South Park bigger, longer, and uncut. Okay. Yes, the musical, yeah. You know exactly what I mean, yeah, without being yes. barred from Spotify forever. <laughs> but it that was the only time I've ever heard an audience gasp. It was unbelievable. And, and understandable. I, I, I my 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 daughter's fourteen today, actually she's fourteen today. And she keeps on asking if she can see it. And I'm like, No, you can't, you're too young. You're far too young. That the first song with Terence and Philip is unbelievable. I don't know how they managed to get away with it. Everyone knows the song. I don't need to name it, do I? I know what you're talking about. No, no, tell me. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> right, well, I'll cut it out. <laughs> <sighs> but, but anyway, I say two hours, 13 minutes. I could probably sit here and talk all night. However, I do have to go to bed at some, <laughs> some point. That is true. I would like to stop nose bleeding yeah. any minute now. So, yes, I would also feel yeah. bad. Right, well, Seth, at some point in the near future, I'll have you on again when we'll have Griff on. As well, because as I said, Griffiths wants to talk about different things with you. Okay, and we'll do it again. Yeah, and again, this won't be anything. But thanks a lot, Lloyd, for stepping. No in. sweat. I really appreciate it, and I owe you. Great to see you, Lloyd. Always a pleasure, Seth. Never a chore. You're so cool. <laughs>